Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Shazam! And we are back with yet another edition of the Job Shop Show. Your host, Jay Jacobs, here with some timely thoughts from our guests on how to be a leader, some of the concrete things you can do today to guide your shop through these turbulent times. Joining me are Patrick Davidson and Mark Fryer. Patrick is VP at Metal Might and prior general manager at Orchid Orthopedics. You may have listened to an earlier podcast we did with Tom Jendix, the owner of Metal Might. Patrick joined Tom in 2018 to expand their operational expertise. Mark Fryer has been Patrick's executive coach since 2012 is the co-founder of Detroit-based Nexecute and has written The Choice to Show Up, Who I Am Matters, as well as co-written The Execution Culture. So we're going to be going into a conversation about the soft skills of running a shop as opposed to the hard skills such as how to fix your parts, what technology to implement, those sort of things which we've talked about on other shows. We're going to chew on what it is to be a leader rather than a manager and how that creates culture, which is really what makes your shop run. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Patrick and Mark. Uh, this is Mark. It's great to be here and thanks for having us on, Jay. Yeah, Jay, Patrick here. Thanks very much for uh, asking us to join you today. Yeah, really excited to chat with you guys. This is such a timely topic. So, I wanted to get started first though, Mark. I noticed that you are a certified Colby consultant since 2014, and I love Colby. Can you explain to the listener what Colby is and give us some examples of how it's made an impact for you and your clients? Absolutely. So Colby was um, and is founded by Kathy Colby. Her father mm -hmm. actually developed the Wonderlick test, which a lot of NFL players know, processing brain speed for quarterbacks especially. And mm -hmm. she came back to her dad and said, hey, dad, there's more to the brain than just IQ. And he said, well, Kathy, that's for you to figure out. Can you imagine sitting at a dinner table with a dad who's that smart? <laughs> she's in her 80s now, but she spent many years developing um, really the history of what does it look like in our brain and how do we make decisions? And identifying IQ, which we all know is our intelligence and skill sets and the way we think. And then there's the affective side of our brain, which is really our emotions and our values, what we like to do. And then she, she found that there is a primitive part of our brain called the conative part. This is what Plato and Aristotle talked about years ago. And it's really our 
decisive way we make decisions, not the way we like to do, but really our instincts. So our, our, and she called it then conative instinct. And mm -hmm. so it comes up in four action modes, how we find facts, mm -hmm. how we handle structure and processes, how we handle risk and innovation, and then how do we handle space and tangibles and demonstrate. So give you an example, a quick example. So mm -hmm. one of our CEOs was a low, or we would call that a, res a resistant fact finder. For him, he just wanted bullet points. So every time an engineer or someone on his team would come in and give a two-page email, he wouldn't read it. In fact, right. he wouldn't even read two paragraphs. He would read two bullet points and that would be it, which would drive his controller crazy because she would send long emails to explain things. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he was an initiating quick start, which means he was an eight. So for him, he loved risk and innovation. He would think out loud. He'd give ideas. He'd put thoughts together. So he'd be in a meeting on Monday and give two or three ideas. And then on Tuesday, his high fact finder would give a response. And then his high follow through or process person would say, here's how we're going to do it. And he goes, what are you talking about? They were, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He goes, well, you talked about it yesterday. He goes, oh, no, that was just thinking out loud. No big deal. Next. <laughs> and literally, I came in as a coach and had to almost stop a fist fight because they were so furious with him. They would scream and cuss and holler at each other. And mm -hmm. we gave him the Colby and said, can we tell you why you're doing the things you're doing? They went, oh, got it. You know, this is what the way he thinks instinctually and acts. This is the way I think instinctually and act. Now, how do we learn to be ourselves, number one, and then how do we relate to one another? So it's a great tool for self-awareness and really to learn about how to be along, get along with other people. Yeah, I have found it of all the testing you can do, the most actionable. And I have a, what they call a high quick start, the, mm -hmm. the risk innovation, and I always knew I drove my team nuts with my thinking out loud but the Colby explained why I did what I did. And it allowed me to tell my team, you don't have to, and this is not quite literal, but you don't have to listen to anything I say unless I put it in writing because a lot of the things I don't want you to do. I'm just yeah, exactly. think, thinking out loud. Patrick has a funny story on his Colby. So um, his quick start, I'm an eight, you're a what, Jay? I'm a nine. Seven or eight, a nine, okay, Patrick's a seven. So Terry, yeah, tell them that story about you, Patrick, and how you handled your team. They would, didn't want to make changes. Well, right. So, I mean, I, I used Mark to help my teams in four different sites, small and mid-sized manufacturing locations, to understand their Colby for the reason he explained. So we could understand why people were doing the things that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I've had some folks who, you know, especially on the engineering side, there seems to be a tendency to be high fact finders and uh, resistant quick starts. And so the ability for my engineering managers especially to appreciate we do need them to find those facts and we need to be able to utilize those to jump in and get things figured out and solved without getting stuck in analysis paralysis. The Colby is such a great tool. And I think the big takeaway for folks who want to learn a little more is that it is a great way for you to understand the team dynamics and again there's a tool with so for the listener you take the Colby test you get a score from one to ten in the four categories if there's more than 
three or more difference in a number in a category between you and another person, there's a potential for conflict. And certainly explained a lot of conflicts that we had at Rapid. But the thing that I really like is if you invest in the Colby system that we had, they'd have a report called an A to A, but essentially it says, Jay, if you're working with Patrick, this is how you need to communicate with him. This is how he wants to be communicated with, and this is the ways that you'll drive him nuts. And, but, but it's not the same way for Patrick to communicate with me necessarily. So they have a report back, Patrick, this is how you need to communicate with Jay, and this is how you'll drive him nuts. So it's very actionable, and Mark, it was, figures that that's a tool that you're using because of, uh, I know the positive impact it has. Patrick, you mentioned that you have worked with Mark at how many companies? Um, so four different divisions at Orchid Orthopedics that you mentioned earlier um, yeah. that I was responsible for. And each one had its own uh, leadership team, its standalone P&L. And so I brought Mark in in each case as we were developing the leadership teams. So go, going way back to the beginning, what prompted you to say, I need help and reach out to Mark to say to yourself, I can't do this alone. And as we talk today, I would really appreciate it if you can recall how you thought before Mark and what mindset changes you have made along the way. Well, ironically, uh, Mark and I met in a more social setting first. And what okay. we found were um, we were some of the only people we knew that shared some of the re uh, reading and research that had been done, not only by Patrick Lencioni, but also by... Who is Patrick Lencioni? So Patrick Lencioni has written a number of uh, books, mostly allegory to, you know, this is where you tell a story to help folks learn a lesson. Mm -hmm. So his most well-known one is, is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, mm -hmm. though he's also written The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary uh, Leader as well. Right. Um, and so we had, we had both uh, had writ, uh, read him and, mm -hmm. and uh, applied some of the things that he had written. In addition, uh, Dr. Robert Quinn, a professor at the University of Michigan, has written quite a bit as well on how people handle change. Uh, he's written books like Deep Change uh, and How to Change the World. And so as we started talking, we, we shared quite a bit of the research uh, and development that had been done. What Mark brought that I hadn't done as a leader was he had developed processes to help teams uh, begin to implement those lessons that these authors were bringing to, to bear. So I think I shared um, a philosophy with Mark, but what Mark brought was the ability, two things. One, he had, a, he had processes that he had developed uh, that would help the team utilize those things. And two, it allowed me, even though I was the leader, of the team, it still allowed me to sit at the table as a team member uh, because I didn't have to facilitate because Mark would come in and facilitate even though I had a unique set of responsibilities. It was very helpful to be at the table instead of trying to facilitate the table. Did you have the authority to hire Mark or did you have to present a proposal to somebody to sign off on bringing I want to make sure I use the correct word investment here as in turn, instead of expense, but is, was that your, your call entirely or did you, how did that go? 
Um, yes, I had entire uh, complete PL responsibility. So mm -hmm. I, I knew that by making the investment, I needed to make it return. I knew it would, but yeah, that was my responsibility to make the decision and then to make sure that our results stood behind it. So what were some of the challenges that faced you at ORCID that you thought Mark could help you with? Well, when I took the uh, first site over, when I was hired during the interview process, the executive, the vice president that I reported to said, this is the most dysfunctional team that I've ever been around, which is interesting because they had all of the technical abilities. The controller was brilliant. The engineering manager was brilliant. Operations manager with 30 years of experience, mm -hmm. human resource manager. I mean, everybody had the experience and the know-how, but it was so apparent that when the leadership team walked the floor together, the folks actually working on the floor cringed because it was, they, they did, they, they hated to see us coming because we worked so poorly together. One of the very first things I did when I got there is I had a chance to read the uh, annual assessment that the shop floor did of the company and of the leadership team. Hmm. And it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Well, kudos to them for uh, the company for doing that because most companies don't allow the shop floor to give an assessment of management. So when you came in, Mark, probably lots of things that you wanted to do, but you have to prioritize and everyone's not ready to accept right away. They, people don't like change. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about change later, but you came into it. I'm sure Patrick gave you an overview, but how did you approach working with him first time and getting about to the issues that you saw at ORCID? So I think Patrick arrived in March and I was hired in, in the end of August, September. So mm -hmm. I knew what he was doing for those six months. And one of the things that he was committed to doing was making sure that he was introducing and applying the core values. They were simply words on a wall before. And I still remember Patrick Cullis' well, story. Let, let, yeah. let me ask you if before we even get into that. So you saw the core values and Patrick, feel free to chime in. Were the core values who the company really was or were they aspirational? Good question. What do you think, Patrick? That's, that's a great question. I do think they were who the company wanted to be. I think they were aligned with the direction and how the company wanted to operate but they were so foreign. They literally were developed by an executive team put mm. on the website and put on the wall. And they hadn't been even necessarily shared well, much less driven into the organization. Okay. We, we could probably talk a lot about core values, but I, I just wanted to, to get a perspective, but jump, jump back in, please, Mark. Yeah, no, that's good. So I knew at least we had a starting point. Mm -hmm. and so I, I came in and said, okay, everything I know about a leader and a team is set on these two principles. Number one, Patrick's number one job, I'll call it a discipline, needs to be to build a team, a strong, high-functioning team. That's his job. Now, we're going to figure out what team looks like down the road. And based on Patrick Lencioni, five dysfunctions, we know that there are five pyramids or if up a pyramid to get there, to get the world class. So when you say team, just to make sure we were all clear. Are you talking about the executive team? Or are you talking everybody in the division? 
Thank you. It, for Patrick, it was those who were direct reports to him. Okay. So we would call them the leadership team. Ironically, mm -hmm. um, many shops are like this. They call them managers. So mm -hmm. there was an engineering manager, a floor manager. Um, but Patrick quickly said, we're going to start thinking like leaders. Now we can talk about that in a minute. So we called it the leadership team meeting. That showed mm -hmm. up on my Outlook calendar. Um, that's what we're going to do in this meeting, create a leadership team. Mm. And so I said, the first thing we're going to do and it's going to take a long time. In fact, Patrick and I laugh now when we think about it. Um, we're going to try to build trust. And Patrick mm -hmm. says, how long do you think it's going to take? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. Let's try it. So we went at it for six months, and then we figured we better go for 12, and then we went to 18. And, and, and we realized we were never going to move to the second level of the pyramid, which is mastering conflict, until we learned to trust one another. So we started at the very basics. That's why I would use Colby or StrengthsFinder as another assessment we mm -hmm. use. Because yeah. I wanted them to get to be used to talking about themselves in a positive way mm -hmm. and then see really subconsciously, if you will, how they're looking at other people. Like mm -hmm. I remember the controller when she got her top five talents said, I have no human talents. I go, well, no, you're a human. So you have <laughs> talents. <laughs> However, yeah. you are, you know, you are responsibility, you're an achiever, you're disciplined, you have context. So it was a matter of getting them talking to one another. And then I remember the day, it must have been six, eight months in, I said, okay, now let's, what is trust? And again, people in the team would say, I don't trust anybody. I don't, I don't care who you are. You know, the old Fokker movie, you know, the circle of trust. No, yeah. you're out I, and nobody gets in. And that's the way this team interacted with one another. So we had to go way back to the basics and say, what is trust? So we, we developed a working definition that today now is our next acute definition nine years later of hmm. what is trust. And that's how we had to start. Interesting. Because trust is like, you know, I like you. What does that mean? Or I trust you. I don't know what that means. But I hear it all the time and people don't know. So when we start, you know, really breaking that definition down, they go, oh, I get it. This is what it means. And this is a skill. How's that? A skill to develop, not just an idea. I want to get into the, the leadership, but before that, did you have any specific goals, Patrick, when you hired Mark, things that you were sort of checking off, or did you just have the, the larger goal of building team? Well, sure. I mean, we have a, we had a balanced scorecard like uh, many organizations do, but I will tell you like well, many- I, I, look, a sure. lot of job shops don't have balanced scorecards. So what's a balanced okay. scorecard? Just the idea that we're going to measure across different categories. So like lots of job shops will measure on-time delivery. That's mm -hmm. a good one to measure. Okay. If you don't also measure your customer acceptance rate, which is like your external quality rating, what percentage of what you send to them do they keep versus mm -hmm. reject and send back? Mm -hmm. You can always get on time. Just ship a bunch of garbage to them, right? Right, right. So- we, one of the ways you balance on-time delivery is with the customer acceptance rate or your external quality rating. And the way you balance those two to make sure you're not doing it by spending a million dollars to get it done is by measuring cost. So mm -hmm. quality, cost, and delivery, important things we were measuring. Of course, safety is another one that we also measured for balance that mm -hmm. made our employees feel honored and, and taken care of. Mm -hmm. And we were owned... Uh, by private equity, which is just a much larger version of, in my experience, um, you know, it, it, a sole proprietor, you know, somebody who owns their own business. Uh, all you have is a board full of people that own you <laughs> if you're owned by private equity. Right. And so at the end of the day, 
profitability was the singular measure that would say if all those other things we were measuring were being successful. And so uh, that was my number one. I was told uh, X and Y, and I, I'm unfortunately I can't share the exact things, but I was told you're sure. going to grow revenue by X percent and, uh, and profitability by Y percent. Of course, Y was a bigger number than X. And that was at the end of the day, I was very honest from the interview on, that's how I would be measured. I knew that we had to focus on building a, uh, a team that trusted one another and understood how they worked well in order to do that. And it's counterintuitive because you, you do invest money in this process and mm-hmm. time in this process. I knew that. And so we invested in it and we actually had some very, very successful and record years across the time I was there. So Mark, I'm not sure who, if it was you, Mark or Patrick, you used the phrase leadership team and words really do matter. They do. Let's talk about leadership because mm-hmm. that's such a powerful word, but it's not, it has a lot of different meanings to different people. So Mark, what, how do you explain leadership? Yeah, What's thank the you. premise there? You know, and there's a, been a lot written on manager and there's been a lot written on leader. And unfortunately, you know, we tend to swing the pendulum. For a while it was like, how to be a good manager. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden the books came out, no, how to be a good leader. And if you were a manager, that was horrible. Never want to be a manager. And so we're kind of swinging this pendulum back to say, wait a minute, rather than extremes, maybe we should define an approach. There's an approach that managers have to accomplishing things. And there's an approach that leadership have to accomplishing things. And at the end of the day, um, you have to decide um, what your role is in the company and really what people need at that any given point to help them get there. So Mm -hmm. why we started by saying, okay, I know you're called a manager, but we want you to think like leaders. Let's do this. In in, In the way we approach it, a leader or a manager simply says, here's the task. Do the task. Get this much done. At the end of the day, these many parts are going to come off your machine. Thank you. And if not, why not? You took too many breaks. You know, you didn't do this right. You know, you had too many uh, mistakes. Mm-hmm. A manager simply is concerned about that. Simply. All right. A leader, on the other hand, has a much more broader picture. A leader says, I want to get somewhere. And that means I need to train you. I need to coach you. I need to help you. You know, the word delegate comes up sometimes. But what we want to do is say, I need you to get these results. So it started by saying to the engineering manager, you don't need to do these things like a manager would do. We want you to lead the engineering team, which means like, and this was a true story. He had to let go of being the one, the only one who knew everything and was in charge. Sure. And that was huge. So he was working 60, 70 hours a week and said, well, I have to do it because it only get done right if I do it. Ah, that's a manager mindset or a manager approach. You, you will not grow. You'll get things done. It's not, it, you will not last long-term. You'll burn out. He said, but I've been doing, I've been working 70 hours a week for so long. This is where I use Patrick. Patrick said, I, t- I know you're working 70 hours a week. Here's the deal. Moving forward, you can't work 70 hours a week. Well, I have to. No, you can't because you'll never get to being a leader. Now, I can tell you the end of the story in a moment, but that's how we define it. So we define it as an approach or the way you're thinking. At any given day, Patrick's the senior leader, so probably about 90% of his time is going to be thinking like a leader. Results, coaching, vision, creativity, um, culture, that's where he's thinking and, and coaching his, his leadership team. 
down the chart, and I work with second tier uh, leaders, if you will, or managers, they're going to spend about half of their time leading and half of their time managing, depending on where their role is. Mm -hmm. And so it's, again, it's not prescriptive, if you will, or I'm telling you what to do, but it's a way of thinking, how do I be that given day or in that given project or that given task? Patrick, anything you want to jump in on there? Yeah, um, I would say Mark described it very well. And for those uh, who are out there who are the leaders, uh, you know, you're, if you're the uh, owner or the CEO or president or all three in some cases, uh, it's, a, it's a process and it takes many months and sometimes years to make those thoughts and ways of approaching the business uh, really take. And so I'd say my biggest word of caution or encouragement is, is patience. It, it's not something that's going to happen in month one. Yes. But if you are the owner, CEO of a job shop, you are by default the leader. You may right. also manage, but you are a leader absolutely the the supreme leader <laughs> uh, yeah, no a hundred percent and i think that's one if you're able to begin to allow yourself to spend as much many times you founded by being a doer not even right. a manager you were doing it and then you, you got you were so successful at doing it you had to hire other people to help you do it mm -hmm. and over time you you had to begin to manage and eventually, hopefully slide into doing, so like we're talking about the, the thought process of doing some leading. Mm -hmm. And so the more you can model leadership for your folks, the more the folks that for whom it's appropriate will understand what it is to spend some of their time leading and some of their time managing. Yeah. I quickly understood that I am not a manager. And I look, and we had a little conversation offline about leadership and management before, but I'm going to relate this back to Colby. It helped explain to me why I don't like managing and why I'm not good at it. And it's because I have a two and they, they rank you from one out of 10 on the Colby and the, the scores, but I have a two on the structure and the follow through category. Correct. And I think to be a really good manager, you have to follow structure and you have to be incredibly consistent. And that means that if you're going to meet with a team member who reports to you once a week, you've got to meet with them once a week, every week, 52 weeks a year. And for me, it was like pulling teeth and I might do it for three weeks and then I'd skip for two months. And that's not fair to the, the person who's working for you. And it also just, it took so much energy for me just to sit down and, and do these. So the, there is a certainly a range on the pendulum of where people fall, whether they are more leaders or more managers or they fall in the middle. But I'll just throw out again, the Colby is a great way to, to help explain perhaps if you really don't feel like you are a good leader or a good manager, why that might be. So 
Yeah, it's really, Jay, there's a true story in Patrick's um, first division in, in mm-hmm. Orchid. Um, his plant manager was, I think, a three follow through. So he was, you know, we would call that mm-hmm. persistent follow through. And when I asked Patrick to take what is called the Colby B, which is, or the Colby C, what type of plant manager mm-hmm. would you want? He, he had it be a nine. So yeah. that high structured person. So yeah. it was a very, it was a very wild meeting when Patrick wanted a nine who was very structured and he has a guy who's three, who's not really structured. Now what? And that became some good and hard discussion. How did you solve that, Patrick? Well, the, and this gentleman actually was a great fit in other areas. And so we sat down and had it, like Mark said, it was a tough conversation for him mm-hmm. uh, because we needed to say, let's just own it. You don't naturally tend to that. As you mm-hmm. indicated, Jay, he could do it, but it sapped him of energy, mm-hmm. right? And he yeah. just he was exhausted when he had to do it. So what he did was took folks that worked for him and utilized their strengths, their natural tendency to organize and have structure and process. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, I don't need you, the individual, to necessarily be the one that does it, but I'm holding you responsible for that structure, for that process. So be aware. It doesn't come naturally to you. Anytime you have to do it, you're going to be exhausted. Mm-hmm. Find the people who do it naturally, who love to do it, and have them develop it you support them and then you're getting it done even though you're not necessarily the individual doing it yeah right yeah when i exited rapid i had over 300 employees and i had three direct reports and my strategic assistant who's now my chief of staff can probably attest to my lack of structure and managing her in probably in a formal way that she'd been managed before. Correct. But on the flip side, I think as a leader, I have developed an effective way of communicating with her. So mm-hmm. in the sense that that's the management style or, or way that we work together. Mm-hmm. I also want to, jump back to my experience and you may be able to relate to this Patrick or, or not, but there was a point because when we started rapid, there were about six folks there and I was an individual contributor. What we, I call now the rugged individual. I did everything. And as we grew, I was working the 60, 70 hours a week and I wanted us to grow more. And the only way to do that was to start to, push tasks to other folks. And there was a real conscious point where I had to say, if I don't delegate, then the company will not grow. And like many of the folks who are working 60, 70 hours a week, uh, I thought I put out these perfect quotes and maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but it didn't matter. I couldn't put out anymore. And the, as long as the team members who started to put out the quotes hit the same win rate, kept the customers happy, and we maintained the profitability because the pricing was accurate, then that was something I had to delegate, had to give up, even though I might not like the way that they put the quotes together. And that was a real conscious point for me. I encourage owners who are listening to think about what do you hold so close to your chest that you just don't want to give up and and really step back and say why 
And, you know, I'm actually, uh, I think, Patrick, you mentioned Mark had a question for you, you know, or maybe you threw this out, Mark. What do you do if you are, if you were given two hours in the afternoon to just go and sit in your office, or maybe your office isn't the best place, but sit and think about the future. What would it look like? And maybe a, a good way to frame it is you want to be, you're a million dollar shop now. You want to be a $10 million shop. Well, you certainly can't work 10 times the number of hours you're working now. So things have to change. How does your shop have to be different? And that really gets down to you've got to move from being a manager to a leader as the owner and CEO president of the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Jay, I would say um, I, I've had uh, some of that experience myself and certainly worked with folks. I think it's very common for, we'll call them technicians, the folks mm -hmm. who are really the best at what they do to be uh, elevated or promoted into a area of more responsibility. Hmm. And the challenge for any of us who've had that happen to us or for us as leaders who have folks we're doing that with is hmm. to understand the toughest thing they'll ever have to do is to delegate that to somebody else and let the somebody else learn the same challenging lessons that they learned themselves or we learned ourselves, which means not micromanaging the crap out of them. So how do you teach them that? Well, we walk through and one of the things that's been most successful for me is working with somebody is to say, okay, if somebody was giving this to you, what would you want them to do to support you? And what would you definitely not want them to do? Hmm. And almost without exception, they'll all say the same thing. I definitely don't want them to micromanage me and tell me how to do every step of the process. Well, why not? Well, because that would make me feel like they didn't trust me with it and they didn't think I was capable. Hmm. Okay. So when you give this to somebody else, how are you going to demonstrate to them that you trust them with it and you think they're capable and still let them know what your expectations are? And by making it personal from their own experience, most of the time they're able to, they still have to bite down real hard, <laughs> but they're able to translate that into, yeah, I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. So I'm going to try my best not to do it to them. Is that something you learned from Mark? Uh, we certainly learned it by working together. And yeah. like I say, the better the technician was at whatever, it could have been at accounting, it could have been at, you know, human resource forms and, and, and things of that nature, or it could have been a machinist. The better they were at that, the more challenging it is as they have to delegate and not do for them to do it. They can, they become some of the best. And it's a bigger, the bigger, the bigger challenges for the best technicians. So I think my role was Jay is that I would come in and do teamwork. And then the, the team actually would joke that I have to come in and do remedial coaching. <laughs> so wait, wait, when you say you, you came in and did teamwork, yeah. what, so every, what does yeah. that mean? Thank you. So every month, Patrick would dedicate a day mm -hmm. where I come in and spend time with a leadership team, following building trust, learning to trust one another, working on those soft skills. How do you handle conflict? Who am I? So you would have a, you would have a topic or two in the meeting and yeah. Yeah. And I've, and I've developed, I like developing curriculum. So I would always yeah. come in with a curriculum and say, this is what we're going to work on today. When we'd always review, cause I'm as a teacher, 
I don't want to have like the new flavor of the month. I want to always <laughs> review and build on what we did the month before. So they're learning along the way. Makes sense. Yes. So and you talked Jay about investment earlier. Mm -hmm. um, there's an, there's a financial investment, obviously to hire a coach like a Mark who's an mm -hmm. expert in that. And then the more difficult investment from my experience is the time. There's always a reason in a job shop why taking your team and meeting for a day, once yeah. a month, there's always six reasons why that's not going to be a great idea this month. And we should did, just postpone it. Did you do it on site or off site? We did it on site because I had a room that was literally up the stairs and around the corner and could be closed. The door could be closed and locked and it still didn't <laughs> stop all the interruptions. Right. Yeah. Cell phones went in a basket, right? Yeah. I mean, it was this kind of isolation. And I had to tell them on multiple occasions, mm -hmm. the hardest thing I did all month was not postpone this meeting. As the yeah. leader, I know all the stuff we got going on and mm -hmm. how hard it is to walk into this room. And yet, I believe so strongly in the this is a key part of our development that we're doing it anyway. Yeah. So I, I can tell you that almost every time in the morning, uh, it would be hard to start on time because they would make all these excuses. <laughs> and then they'd come in all ramped up and they didn't want to share. So, you know, we always start with what's called the good news check-in. They, yeah. they roll their eyes like, why do we have to do that? Well, because I want to get you in the room. I want you to think of something good. I know you can think of 10 things that are bad. And so we would joke and have fun with that and learn about each other. By the end of the day, they were, their shoulders were down. They were relaxed. They were talking to one another. They wouldn't leave the room right away. Mm -hmm. and, and it changed their entire approach, their entire, you know, the way they carried themselves because of that. So that was the team. And then I, the reason I queued up this whole idea of coaching, mm -hmm. you used the, word, the two words give up, right? They had to learn how to give up. This was a big deal for high performers. So, I mean, I don't know how many people that I actually coach, Patrick. I mean, almost everybody on his leadership team. I had individual coaching sessions with them finding mm. out why they didn't want to give up yeah why they wanted to work so many hours why they wouldn't release why they wanted to hang on really tightly and have their fists clenched you know so that's why in fact someone would actually joke and say okay here comes my remedial therapist again you know <laughs> because, because they knew that they had to work through whatever what it is that they wanted to hang on so tightly yeah and jay you know what one of the the fascinating stories that came of that was uh, we must have been 18 to 24 months in to working mm -hmm. on this stuff when um, our largest customer um, made a small error, and I use small very sarcastically, uh, forgot to net their orders, their uh, forecast orders for the year against their inventory on hand. And in one phone call, our fiscal was January through December, mm -hmm. and in one phone call the second week of January, I lost 30% of my forecasted revenue for the year in one wow. phone call. It was gone. And wow. it was nothing that they could do to replace it. Um, it took us 10 calendar days or uh, what amounted to about seven business days to restructure the entire thing. We lost only what we would have considered C players, mm -hmm. folks that really we probably should have pruned <laughs> sooner. Yeah. Uh, everybody participated in the process. We found cost savings, literally saving a person's job by changing where we get, got floor mats and coffee beans and toilet paper. Yeah. Um, and I hope that doesn't, you know, have to ring too true for too many of our listeners right now. 
but we don't know, right? We're in a time of very much an unknown, but we took a non-traditional approach. Instead of just throwing the uh, payroll up there and saying, okay, here's the number of people we have to take out. We got in a room as a team that had built mm. that level of trust. And I said this, the last thing we will discuss is people. And I'm going to be relentless about driving every dollar of cost out of our P&L before we get to people. Yeah. And, so, and we did it. We literally only had to release C players, which we should have done anyway. And we drove that out. And in a year where we lost 30% of our revenue, our profitability went up by two percentage points. And there may be really? listeners who go, yeah. And there may be listeners who say, well, you didn't bring Mark in during that time, did you, Patrick? <laughs> of all of the times that we needed Mark, there was never a time that we, we needed him more than that, right? Because those were hard times. And, but we had built a level of trust to have that conversation in that room and people trust. And again, how we communicated that throughout the organization was key, but we did it together. We literally stood shoulder to shoulder as a leadership team and we communicated these things. And I just... I hope that doesn't isn't something that any of the listeners have to go through, but it's a result of having done this kind of work. When that kind of a crisis hits, we moved and we moved quickly. I want to make sure we get back to that later on in the conversation because I think it's really relevant to today, but I want to tie it into some other things. But before we get there, Mark, you have used the phrase transformational leadership Mm -hmm. and looking at that versus a transaction mindset. Can you talk about that a little bit and maybe how it relates to some of the things we've already talked about or throw some other examples out there? Sure. And a lot of it goes back to my own story. So a transactional leader is basically is um, I give you this and you give it back in return. It's a transaction. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really care about you as a human being. I just want you to give me something back. And um, at the end of the day, you could make a business work for a time for a time by simply being a transactional leader. I tell you to do this, do it, get it done. Mm-hmm. End of the day, you're not going to, uh, it's not, it's not going to feel human. There's not going to be much care. There's not going to be much relationship built and it doesn't last. And so at the end of the day, there's a choice that we can make. And again, those who study this say that's when your ego is really in control. I'm just, do it. What I say back off. I don't really care. What well, let, let, yeah. that, I think that's huge that, and it's part of being a good leader is to recognize that you have an ego and you, when you do things like that in your shop, you, it's your ego. It may make you feel good, but it's, it's a huge detriment to your team. And, Absolutely. and being, I think a good leader is giving up ego. Yeah, it's interesting. So I've done a lot of study on this over time. And yeah. those who actually study this actually say, because I, I, I right, right now, I have a guy that I'm coaching. He said, Mark, I don't know if I want you to coach me because I don't want to give up my ego. I said, really? I said, hang on. I said, rather than give it up, I'm going to share with you a word that may or may not make sense. What if you would transcend your ego? Meaning, hmm. I've got it, but I'm not going to make my ego the driver. I'm going to use all that passion, desire, smarts that I have to serve you. So it isn't about me. It's about me serving you. You're the goal here. How can I help you win? And he's like, well, I could buy that. So one of the things that I talk about is all that drive and passion is great. Are you going to serve you with it? 
or you want to serve other people with it. Hmm, I and like so that. I, I like the word transcend. It, it's, it's kind of an ethereal world word, but it makes sense when it comes to leadership. And so you're right. At the end of the day, you might want to shout, yell, scream, curse, get this done because I say so, or it may take me longer to tell you to walk through this. Like one of the things that Patrick and I use a lot is it's quicker to tell someone what to do, but you're going to slow the company down. Yes. However, if you ask questions, you'll speed up the company. Mm -hmm. So take the time, ask the questions. That's not about your ego. That is about a teaching learning environment. And at the end of the day, they won't, ask, you'll, you'll be training along the way. So that's the difference. Mm -hmm. Right. And with the phrase, the catchphrase that we would add, and we developed it so that we could say it real quick and remind people was, we need to slow down to go fast. We need to slow down to go fast. If you go fast in the moment, you slow down the growth rate of the company. It's faster in the second, mm -hmm. but it's slower in the long run. And so that was a super help. The other thing we do, by the way, especially if I, um, you know, I own and operate my own job shop is we have to think about how are we increasing the value of the organization overall so that when and if a time comes where we want to be able to offer it to somebody else, uh, it has value without us. If it only has value because we're there pulling the strings, then we don't get to sell it and retire. Right. So let me finish the transformational thing real quick. Yeah. So it, in, it, I can either be a transactional leader where it's about me and my ego, or I could be transformational, which is using both my head and my heart, if you will. Mm -hmm. I can be smart and I can care about you as a human being. And both matter. So to transform is literally to change who I am so that I can serve you. That's, like that. that's where transformational comes in. So, And I think a result, just going back to what Patrick just said, is when you first came into ORCID, into that division, Patrick, what would have happened if you went away for a month? Uh, if, you, if you were out, had a, an illness and you couldn't be at Orchid for a month as the general manager, what would have happened? Well, in fact, I had to do sort of a road show with the executive vice president to meet some of our customers uh, early on. And it was great to meet the customers. And I always came back to chaos. Okay. Because the direction, the clarity was lost. It, and, it definitely and, required me to be there. And the, well, I'll use the word transformation that you made with Mark at Orchid if you were out for four weeks, when by the time you were left, how would the division have operated without you? Yeah, well, we were forced to do that because after three years, um, again, I mentioned that they were referred to as the most dysfunctional team mm -hmm. um, in the company. They became the most successful, high-functioning team with the best results. And they asked me to go do that at another division 50% of the time that happened to be about six states away. Oh. So I wasn't physically even in the state 50% of the time, but the team had developed a level of ability to work together and knew how to reach me, right? In today's world, they can reach out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was how high functioning they became. I was physically not even present 50% of the time. Um, and they still, and we still continue to get those results. Well, my point really is, a little tongue in cheek here to the job shop owner listener. If you don't think you can go on vacation, then there's an opportunity to make change at your company. And 
it probably involves you becoming more of a leader than a manager. A hundred percent. Yeah. I want to get back to two. There's things that you uh, talked about that relate to coming in, Mark, once a month. You had a curriculum. You did the one-on-one -on -one coaching. And that probably would have been difficult, Patrick, for you to do with the team members. So I just want to touch upon why hire a coach? Why make that investment in dollars? And having somebody external is, I think, really important to growing the organization, whether it's your job shop or a division. It's an external person who facilitates for you is so, so helpful. And we had that at Rapid. We hired the Petra group to help implement the Rockefeller habits, which is now mm -hmm. scaling up. Right. And they, it was so instrumental to us being successful. So um, I want to go over though to today, right now it's the middle of March in 2020. We're in the midst of the coronavirus crisis pandemic. And it's really, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we don't know yet. This is uncharted waters. We've never had, or at least in the memory of people living, the forced isolation with the spread of a contagious disease. So as a leader, what, what things do you want to share and say to a job shop owner who may be struggling, who may not have the team dynamics, which you're talking about now? What, what do they do? That's a great question. Um, of course, you know, it'd be great to say if you did these three things, you'll make it and everything will be great. And mm -hmm. that's not true. But, you know, let's kind of throw some things out there to consider. Um, I would say number one would be human. Sorry, but be human, which yeah. means be honest, be real, be genuine. Um, if you're a little anxious, say, listen, I don't know what's going to happen today. Or this, we, you know, I just left my son, who's a restaurant manager. He just mm. got off the phone and it was told, uh, you're going to have to lay off every employee except your managers because you cannot lose money. Right. And he was, and he, he's like, dad, that is so frustrating. I, I know. And you're going to have to talk about that. You yeah. Know? Be honest about it. Cause he, he doesn't want to lay any, any more people off. And so be human, talk about where you're at, your unknowns, your uncertainty and his boss did the same thing to him. Nate, we don't know what's going to happen, but this is what it's going to look like. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, I think that's really important piece. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, I would say, it, and the honesty in this case means uh, telling your team, your employees, your organization, your company, every single thing that you legally can. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's hard, especially lots of us, you know, there are things that we've held close to the vest. They may not have known how close we were to missing payroll two years ago on right. that one Friday, right? Because they didn't know that. They didn't need to know that. They need to know some stuff now. Yeah. Um, and they need to know uh, where we're strong and we have the resilience to hang in and where we're going to struggle if things don't turn around. And we just need to be honest about that. So if and when those things come to pass, they, they understand. And some of them, it's always amazing when you treat them with that kind of respect and honesty. The number of them, we've had folks even uh, in, at Metal Might here 
that have mm-hmm. said, hey, you know what? I'm in a good position. If you need to send me home for a while till we get through this, mm. well, go ahead and do that. Like, because we're dealing with them in that level of honesty and integrity uh, and respect, they're offering it right back. Yeah, that's good, Patrick. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, like so that. number one would be human. The next one I would say, it dovetails very quickly, is to be focused, be focused. So at the end of the day, what do you need to focus on that day? You know, right. we don't have to, we can't, we don't know what's going to happen next week. I mean, look how things are happening so quickly. So be focused today. What needs to happen today with what we know? What needs to be communicated today? Um, what do we need to do to motivate today? What do we need to do to inspire today or to get this job done today or to talk to a customer today or whatever, how, or to find out how our customers are doing? So I think it takes a tremendous amount of focus in this mm-hmm. time because our minds are going to go crazy and we're going to, and if we have, and if we just like take a grenade and throw it somewhere, we're not going to really accomplish anything. We need to be focused. Yes. There's some things that still have to be done today, no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the last one, and we talked about this offline before we got to the job shop here and that is be creative. I, this is a time when it's almost like you go back you get, you get to go back to how you started the company. What does creativity look like? And, and how do I uh, make this work? And what do I bring to the table? So thinking outside the box, um, I think this is a call, a time for that. Yeah, I think we have to get rid of the box right now. Absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So the today we are we're in a definitely an uncertain time. I just want to echo some of the things that you guys just said and both of you guys that if not if you need to communicate with your team daily in person you got to be honest and essentially this is a probably falls into more of the manager thing you got to be consistent right. but that honest truthful communication and you have to be super careful you don't lose their trust by telling them things that aren't true and have this phrase practice saying in front of the mirror, I don't know, because there are a lot of things we don't know now. You can't say something and make it sound like fact and have egg on your face two days later. Then they're not going to trust what you're saying. No, they won't. And as scary as the information may be, the story you told, Mark, yeah, you have to have empathy, but you have to be, you have to tell them the scary information and then you have to tell them the why behind it. And people, you might not like it, they might not like it, but they, it's better to, to know why and to understand. So. Agreed. I think uh, we've had a, a really fun, stimulating conversation today, guys. And this whole thing reminds me that in order to, to hire a coach like Mark, you have to be willing to be told that you are wrong, that you have done things uh, in ways that can be improved, open to criticism. And as a job shop owner who, who wants to grow and wants to change their mindset from a transactional one to a transformational one, you've got to be okay with admitting failure, mm-hmm. being, being honest and truthful. And I, I also want to say, I only think you really only fail if you don't win or you don't learn, learn from a situation. Agreed. Absolutely. So, and another way of looking at it is 
in other words, you have to have the courage to hire someone like Mark to become a leader. That, maybe that's the first step in becoming a leader. Well, mm-hmm. Not the first step, but a step. And along those lines, real quick, how do you find somebody like Mark, if you're, particularly if you're not in the Michigan area? Right. Well, I know that, in, that some people look up, will look up SCORE, S-C-O-R-E, mm-hmm. because you can find mentors that have been mm-hmm. there. So that's one way. Um, you can look up business coaches or executive coaches that are in your area. Um, usually every business coach that I know likes to have at least something on Google that says I'm an executive coach, vet mm-hmm. them well, find out if there's a process because it, it really is, is the key that matters and find out what they do. So yeah. that's how you would and find probably it. talk to people who they've worked with. References are critical actually, probably for something like this. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I get many of my clients. Yeah, I would, I would make sure I, I talked to people they had worked with 100% of the time before I made that investment. Great. Well, guys, thanks so much for sharing your stories and putting the leadership into concrete thoughts for today's coronavirus crisis pandemic. I really appreciate you being so open. And Patrick, any last words that you'd like to share advice to put out there and and how can people reach you? Um, Yeah, I just encourage folks, uh, I guess courage is the best word I have. Have the courage, like you said, to to reach out, to find a coach that can work with you uh, and to take the challenging steps. Some of them will work brilliantly. And some of them you'll learn a lot from, to your point. Um, <laughs> if people uh, want to reach me, they can either reach me at pdavidson at metalmite.com or they can reach me at patrick.d at costratx.com. Um, either way is fine with me. I'd be happy to speak with you further and give you recommendations about great coaches like Mark. Mark, any last words from you or and ways that people can reach you? Sure. I still remember um, the one of the first executives at Google said the best decision he ever made was to hire a coach. And that was 20 years ago. And nothing's really changed. In fact, mm-hmm. when I, you look at professional golfers, they have three or four or five different coaches that help them. And right. so we why not learn from them? And so one of the ways you can reach me is actually through the title of my book, the choice to show up.com. And you'll learn about more about me and then you can actually reach me then. So that's probably the easiest, the choice to show up.com. Great. Well, thanks again, guys. Really, really good stuff. And you, the listener, thank you for making us a part of your day today. I am really grateful to be involved with such a great community and I'm proud of our American custom part manufacturers. Have a super day and keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting.